Hey there, I'm Kristen Carr, women's minister here at Johnson Ferry, and I'm thrilled to welcome you to the JF Women Bible Study Podcast. I'm so glad you're taking time to tune in. It may just be the best decision of your week. Our goal with online Bible study is to help you find time to be in the Word amidst your busy schedules and full lives. I'm praying these next few minutes will be life-giving, encouraging, and challenging as your Bible study leader walks you through a fresh week of unpacking truth from God's Word. As she digs into your study today, she'll provide resources and suggest a little homework to help you get the most out of this online Bible study experience. So, ladies, are you ready? Grab your Bible and let's get started. Hi, welcome to Truth Plus Grace. My name is Tiffany Grayson, and this is chapter six, next. Psalm 62, eight says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Trust in the Lord at all times. That's what the verse says. Oh, I don't know about you, friend, but I think that's easier said than done. Am I right? Trust in God always, in all things, all the time. Do we do that? And then that verse goes on to say, pour out your heart before him, because God is a refuge for us. Why should you pour your heart and soul out to God? Why should you release all of your burdens and place them at the foot of the cross? Because God wants to be your refuge. And that's your first fill in the blank, friend, if you're following along with notes. God wants to be your refuge. He wants to carry the weight for you. He wants to be your safe place. He wants to be your person. And that's a fill in the blank. He wants to be your person. Do you have a person? Do you know what I mean by that? Do you have someone that you can tell anything and everything to? You know the kind of person I'm talking about. They don't judge you when you reveal something you might be ashamed of. They don't mock you when you make a mistake. They don't lecture you when your choice isn't their choice. No, instead they accept you for who you are. They love you regardless of the mess you might be. They listen intently. They offer advice when asked. And the friendship doesn't change based on what you say or do. It stands the test of time. For some, that person is a sibling, a parent, a family member, or even a friend. I imagine that you, like me, are picturing that person in your head right now. Some of you may even have more than one. So let me ask you this. It's a tough question, friend, but it's an important one. When you think of your person, do you think of God? And I put that in your notes, so it's a fill in the blank. When you think of your person, do you think of God? If we're being honest... We can't always answer yes to that question. For some, when we're feeling ashamed of ourselves, we tend to hide from God, much like Adam and Eve did. So, then let me ask you this. Why do we feel like we can reveal our true nature to our person when we don't feel that we can fully reveal ourselves to our Heavenly Father? As a child, you might remember moments in time where you made a mistake and were afraid to admit your actions to a parent or even a person of authority. In my own life, I'm constantly reminding my kids that their mistakes don't have to define them and that I will continue to love them no matter what terrible choices they may or may not have made. If you're a parent, then you can identify with what I just said. You cannot imagine loving your child any less just because they made a mistake. In fact, you might agree that you hurt right alongside with your child when they are hurting, a sure sign that your love is never-ending, always growing, an unconditional type of love. 
And that is exactly the kind of love that our Heavenly Father has for us. It's unconditional, no strings attached, never-ending, constant. In fact, the kind of love that God has for you as His child is a love so big that we are unable to even fathom the depth of the love that He has for each of us. So why, if He loves us to that extent, do we not consider Him our person? Why do we not take refuge in Him? We're all facing tough times right now, friend. I mean, our troubles may look different person to person, depending on what we're going through in our individual lives, but we are all facing tough times. To begin with, no one in their wildest dream would have ever imagined that we'd be facing a worldwide pandemic, one that's gone on for what seems like 447 years, but the reality is it's only been a few months. No one could have imagined how a single event like that would affect every single person on the face of this planet. And it has. Think about it. There's not one single person who's been unaffected by this virus in some way. Thankfully, not everyone has experienced the illness itself. However, we've all experienced the side effects. We've all experienced quarantine at varying levels. Many have faced illnesses, whether physically, mentally, emotionally, or even spiritually. There have been job changes, lifestyle changes, and certainly operational changes. Life, as we have previously known it, is forever extinct. The new normal is still being defined, but we know that we're forever changed. So let me ask you this. What other life events have or will wreak havoc on us like this one has? And I put that in your notes so that you can think about it. What other life event will wreak havoc on us like this one has? Some may have experienced major life events at one time and another that has changed your trajectory for a period of time, or maybe even longer. My mind immediately jumps to those of us who lived through the attacks of 9-11. We know how life changed following those attacks. National security was impacted immediately as our country raced to join arms and fight terrorism. So many lives were lost as a result of the attacks, it was gut-wrenching to watch, and it evoked fear in so many people. But the country rallied, and for those who didn't lose a loved one that day, life resumed in a fairly normal capacity within a relatively short period of time. I mean, sure, air travel forever changed as a result of that day, but it resumed, just with a few new guidelines and rules. But this new event, the pandemic, what will our children say when they're asked by their kids or their grandkids, what was it like living through the pandemic of 2020? Everyone's life has been impacted. Everyone's life has changed. And just like the Israelites did not know how long they would be stuck wandering through the desert, we don't know how long we will be dealing with this pandemic. Moses paints a verbal picture of the uncertainty that he and the Israelites felt during those years in Deuteronomy 28, 66. And I put it in your notes. It says, So your life shall hang in doubt before you, and you shall be in dread day and night, and you shall have no assurance of your life. Goodness, that's a dark moment. But like them, we don't know how long our world will continue to suffer. What will happen next? Life, my friend, is uncertain, and that's a fill-in-the-blank. Yes, life is uncertain. But what does uncertain mean? Well, when I look up the word uncertain, the synonyms or words that are like it are distrust, doubt, and doubt is a fill-in-the-blank, doubt, reservation, skepticism, and suspicion. The definition of uncertain itself is this, and I've got three different definitions for you. You can fill in the blank or um, as we go. The first one is not being certain. Hmm, 
That's funny, right? The definition of uncertain is not being certain. Did that clear it up for you? How about this? Number two, a complete lack of conviction, a complete lack of conviction or knowledge related to an outcome or result. That one may make more sense. Okay, a complete lack of conviction or knowledge related to an outcome or result. And thirdly, falling short of certainty, falling short of certainty. That last one gets me, falling short. I can identify with that. It paints a picture, doesn't it? In this study, we've spent some time discussing anxiety, depression, suffering, etc. So many of those topics cross over one another, either by definition or similarity in experiences. However, for those of you who might say, well, I don't have anxiety, or I don't suffer from depression, or even I'm actually doing okay, haven't really suffered too much, well, perhaps the idea of being uncertain resonates with you. Here's the truth of the matter. We have all experienced uncertainty at some point in our life. We have all been in a place where we didn't know what the outcome would be. We didn't trust that we could handle the situation or didn't know what to do next. Those are examples of uncertainty. And as we look to the Bible for examples, I would encourage you to look for uncertainty in each story told because it's there. For example, and here's your first fill in the blank in this section, Job, Job, who faced more challenges and suffering than any other person ever recorded in history, he certainly faced moments of uncertainty. Job was a righteous, blameless, and honorable man of his time. For those who aren't familiar with his story, let me give you a brief summary. Turn with me in your Bibles to Job chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 6 through 12. And as a reminder, I'll be reading from the New American Standard Version of the Bible. You're welcome to read along with me or just sit back and listen as I read. Again, Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 12, and they say, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but put forth your hand now and touch it all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Goodness. This is a scary scene, isn't it? First, the mental picture of Satan just roaming about here on earth, torturing anyone that he can get his hands on, is enough to take my breath away. It's one of those things that you know in your mind is really happening, but when you read about it or hear about it, it just feels really, really real. And it is real, friend. Satan is roaming on the earth looking for those he can manipulate and control. And in this case, God allowed Satan to intervene in Job's life in order to prove a point. Why? Because Satan believed, and he still does, he believes that your salvation is only temporary. He believes that if you suffer enough, then you will denounce your Savior. He believes that you are still fair game. And God was ready to prove Satan wrong. In Job's case, Satan believed that if he inflicted Job with enough pain and suffering, that he would turn away from God. So Satan attacked Job. In rapid succession, and here's your next fill-in-the-blank, event after event, Job lost everything. He lost his livestock, he lost his servants, and most crushing of all, he lost his children. Of all that he owned, only his wife and four servants survived. 
Ugh. Job was distressed, understand, understandably so, and he didn't understand why he was being plagued and punished. He had been living such a blessed life. He had a great relationship with God, and then, out of nowhere, things changed. He didn't know why he was experiencing these difficulties. He didn't know how long his torture would last. He didn't know what would come next. If we were keep to keep reading Job's story, we would learn about his pain and suffering and that it did not end there. Job was also struck with a torturesome physical ailment. In fact, it was painful skin boils. And he also withstood the constant bantering of his closest friends who were ever so quick to point and advise Job on what he had done in order to receive such a painful punishment from God. Job's suffering went on for an unknown period of time. In fact, scholars differ on the topic, some saying that he was tortured for weeks. Others say that he endured this for years. <clears throat> Excuse me. No matter how long the torture lasted, and here's your next fill in the blank, no matter how long the torture lasted, friend, Job never blamed God. He never blamed God. However, in Job 13, 20 verses, <clears throat> excuse me, Job 13 verses 20 through 24, we find him pleading with God for answers. He's pleading with God for answers. And the verses say, Only two things do not do to me. Then I will not hide from your face. Remove your hand from me and let not the dread of you terrify me. Then call and I will answer or let me speak. Then reply to me. How many are my iniquities and sins? Make known to my, make known to me my rebellion and my sin. Why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy? Please, please, he pleaded. Tell me how much longer I must wait before you answer me. He needed to know what was next. And as you might remember, after a period of time, God did restore Job. And God also multiplied his blessings as a result of the faith that Job showed during his trials. Another example, and here's your next fill in the blank, is King David. King David faced uncertainty multiple times in his life. In Psalm 142, verses 1 to 2, he cried out to God while hiding in a cave. He was fearing for his life. He didn't know what would happen next. And he said, I cry aloud with my voice to the Lord. I make supplication, which means requests. I make requests with my voice to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare my trouble before him. Even though David poured out his heart before God as a result of pain and struggles and life trials, he often concluded by praising God. And that's a fill in the blank. He concluded by praising God and giving him all the glory in all things. You see, God was David's person. God was the one he turned to in times of need. As you might remember, David was chosen at a young age to be king, and God regularly rewarded him for his steady faith in God. A fun little side note, you might also remember that God called David a man after his own heart. Wow. And you can read about that in 1 Samuel thirteen fourteen. Such an amazing story. Our third example is Jeremiah. Jeremiah is another example of a biblical character who faced uncertain times. Now, Jeremiah lived during a time of many false prophets. Hmm. Sound familiar? Because there were so many voices to be heard, many rejected the prophecies from God that Jeremiah shared. Jeremiah knew that the false prophets were only saying what the people wanted to hear. Ugh, can we identify with that? Especially in today's world as we go through an election process. As everyone from your neighbor to your favorite celebrity has a word of so-called truth to share, well, determining that their way is the only way, I know you can relate to this, it causes so much division among the people. The same thing was happening in Jeremiah's day. 
His mission was to convince the nations of Judah to repent and to turn from their idolatrous ways. So many people had fallen prey to society and had put other things, things of the world, above their relationship with God. So God sent Jeremiah to point them in the right direction. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah. And for those of you new to Bible study, Jeremiah is located in the Old Testament, just a few books past Psalms and Proverbs. As a side note, Jeremiah's full story can be found by reading through many of the books of the Old Testament. The book of Jeremiah was written by Jeremiah himself, and it includes his perspective on certain events as they happened during his ministry years. He is also credited with writing the book of Lamentations later in life. Jeremiah, and this is your next fill-in-the-blank, Jeremiah is known as one of the four major prophets of the Old Testament, along with Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Jeremiah 1, 4-5 tells us a little bit about what we need to know about it says, and this is again Jeremiah 1, verses 4 and 5, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Okay, in other words, God chose Jeremiah to be a prophet to his people. The word consecrated here in that passage just simply means to be set apart as holy. Jeremiah, like Moses, was quick to respond to God with a list of doubts why he might not have been the correct choice for this enormous responsibility. But God, again like the story of Moses, was quick to tell Jeremiah, Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you. And he says that in Jeremiah 1, verse 8. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you. And as a side note, verses 9 and 10 go on to say, That then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations, over the kingdoms, to pluck up and break down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Ah, yes. And so Jeremiah embarked on a lifetime of following. That's the next fill in the blank. He embarked on a lifetime of following God's commands, going where God instructed, and delivering God's messages even when they were unwanted. I'll repeat that. Jeremiah embarked on a lifetime of following God's commands, going where instructed, and delivering God's messages even when they were unwanted. Jeremiah's first few years of ministry were instrumental in a great revival of that day, but as time went on, word spread that Jeremiah was speaking out against idolatry and against worshiping false gods. The people began to seek him out, even his family, and they were hoping to kill him, imprison him, or at least, at the very least, intimidate him. They wanted Jeremiah to stop speaking out against the popular vote. So we get more insight into Jeremiah's emotional battle in Jeremiah 20, verse 7. And that's your fill in the blank, Jeremiah 20, verse 7. It says, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou hast overcome me and prevailed. I have become a laughing stock all day long. Everyone mocks me. Oh, you can feel the angst there. Poor guy. But that didn't stop him from his efforts to turn the people of Judah back to God. He may have felt hopeless, but he didn't give up. God protected him during his periods of uncertainty, during the times when he didn't know what would happen next. In fact, just a few short verses later, verse 13, Jeremiah says, Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the soul of the needy one from the hand of the evildoers. Oh, I love that verse. He's praising God. So let me ask you this, friend. Have you ever felt uncertain? That's a fill in the blank. Have you ever felt uncertain? Have you ever wondered what is next? What is next? I have. Job, David, and Jeremiah 
all famous biblical characters, they all experienced moments of uncertainty. And I put this in your notes because I think it's important. And here comes your next fill in the blank. But we also know them as strong examples of faith. Faith is your fill in the blank. And that, my friend, is the difference maker. Faith is believing in something that we cannot see. It's a fill in the blank. Faith is believing in something that we cannot see. Faith is having complete trust and confidence in something or someone. Faith is having complete trust and confidence in something or someone. And faith is having a strong conviction despite lacking proof. Faith is having strong conviction despite lacking proof. And that is what Job, David, and Jeremiah all had. They all had faith. Did you know that the word faith, and here's your fill in the blank, the word faith is used in the Bible more than 330 times? More than 330 times. And that actually depends on the version that you're reading because some versions actually mention the word faith up to 521 times. Faith is important. So why do you think faith is mentioned so many times? Faith actually means different things to different people. It's very personal. It's guarded. It's private. It's close to your heart. I understand. But Job knew who to trust in, and that was your fill in the blank. Job knew who to trust in. Job 13, 15 says, I will hope in him. I will hope in him. Jeremiah knew who to trust. Jeremiah is a fill in the blank. He knew who to trust in. Jeremiah 16, 19 says, O Lord, my strength and my stronghold and my refuge, refuge is fill in the blank, and my refuge in the day of distress, to thee the nations will come from the ends of the earth and say, our fathers have inherited nothing but falsehood, futility, and things of no profit. The prophet Isaiah also knew where to place his faith. Isaiah 25, 4 says, For thou hast been a defense for the helpless, a defense for the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. And that's from Isaiah. King David, that's your fill in the blank. King David had a lot to say about where to take refuge as you wait for what comes next. He says in Psalm 18, verses 2 and 3, The Lord is my rock. Rock is a fill in the blank. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, and whom I take refuge. Refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved. I am saved from my enemies. In Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3, 1 through 3, he also says, God is our refuge and strength. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and though the mountains quake at its swelling, at its swelling pride. Oh. David also said in Psalm 91 too, and I put this in your notes, it's fill in the blank. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. I'm going to repeat that. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Yes, there are many, many stories of uncertainty in the Bible, but just as there are ribbons of uncertainty woven into the various stories, there's also one constant thread of certainty. I'm going to tell you, friend, and this is a fill in the blank, one constant thread of certainty. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. From the beginning of time, the stage was set. The story was foretold. The ending is known. Jesus came to save his people. He sacrificed himself for your sins so that you 
can have a personal relationship with God. Jesus died on the cross so that you can find refuge in your heavenly Father, so that you can make God your person. It's true. We don't always know for certain what will come next in life. However, and this is a fill in the blank, there is another known event that will have an effect on every person on the planet yet again. Another known event, and it's the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ. I put a couple of verses in your notes, friends, so that you would have them. In Matthew twenty four forty two, Jesus said, Therefore be on alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Oh, yes, Jesus, come again. In John fourteen three, Jesus says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. Oh, I love it. But what do those verses mean? Well, friend, it means that one day, Jesus is coming back to earth. And when he comes, he will welcome those who believe in him to spend eternity with him in heaven. We might not know exactly what is coming next. But friend, we do know for certain that one day Jesus is coming back to earth. Will you be ready? You only need to trust in him. You only need to trust in him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together to hear more from your word, to learn of the encouragement that you have for us, that we can always take refuge in you, that we can always trust in you. And Lord, just by trusting in you, trusting in the fact that you sent your only son to die on the cross for my sins, for the sins of those that are listening, Lord, we thank you. We give you the praise. Lord, we accept that free gift. Lord, let everyone accept that free gift so that they too can have a relationship with you. Lord, I ask that this be um, an encouraging word to those listening and ask that you watch over them and keep them safe until your second coming. We love you. We praise your holy name. And it's in your holy son's name that we pray. Amen. Friend, I hope that you have found this lesson encouraging. For daily encouragement through scripture, I hope you'll consider following Truth Plus Grace on either Instagram or Facebook. I publish a daily verse there. Hopefully it will be an encouragement to you and you're welcome to share with friends. We're also looking for more ways to connect as a community going through this study together. So please check your email regularly for more information. To be added to the email distribution list or to, to reach out, uh, for a confidential prayer request, you can contact me directly at Tiffany at truthplusgrace.com. Again, Tiffany at truthplusgrace.com. Truth plus grace is just spelled out. I'm praying for you, friend. I hope to hear from you soon. 